0: All right, you can have a seat. I'm cutting off good conversation, I know it, I know it. Good morning. Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Nate. Someone say hi, Nate. Nate. Hey, thanks guys. Um, If you're you're new to Doxa, we're so glad you're here with us, even if you're just checking it out or you're new to church. We're going to open up the Bible and, and talk about what God has for us today, not just like some ideas somebody came up with, but um we're, we're really we're really honored and grateful you're here with us whether, whether doc says your church family welcome to the family gathering um or you're, you're just checking out christianity so this morning we're going to start a new series we just finished first john this letter from jesus best friend and soon we're going to start daniel which is this old testament book with some like incredible stories that you've heard of daniel in the lion's den and all this stuff but also some wild prophecy we got to dig deep to understand But between these series, we're starting four weeks of a series we're calling God Is. Getting to know what the God of the universe really is like as he shows himself to us, as he reveals himself, what he's like. If we don't get God right, it's hard to get much else right. If we don't understand God for who he really is, nothing else falls into place. But if we begin to understand who he is, this God that shows us what he's like, that reveals himself to us, when we begin to understand what he's like, everything else is going to start to make a little bit more sense. It's going to start to fall in place in a different kind of way. So this week we're starting with God is holy. Someone say holy. Holiness is, holiness is this core, central attribute to the character and nature of God. And to be honest, I, I've struggled to write the intro to this message. Like I, I wrote it and rewrote it, and I was like in the coffee shop, sweating it out, and writing it over and over, and bothering my wife like every night, and teachers meeting Tuesday, workshopping this thing because because holiness is this incredibly beautiful, huge aspect of who God is, and yet it's not really normal to our worldview and our experience. Holiness is not something comfortable for us to kind of just get used to. In fact, uh, just generally in our world, we don't really think in terms of holiness, cleanliness, those things. There's some worldviews or, or religious systems where holiness is pretty central. Like a, a friend of, of docs we get to send out, her name's Daphne. She's working with with Hindu people, and holiness is is a very common everyday kind of thing. Holiness impacts what you eat and where you walk, and and all of these things. Like you're used to thinking about it, but even if you're like not a Christian this morning, you're new to church. Like when was the last time you actually heard the word holy used? when someone wasn't saying things I'm not going to say from stage, right? Or, or you've maybe heard the phrase, like, holier than thou. Those Christians are holier than thou. It means they're, they're judgmental, they're self-righteous, they're stuck up, they're, they're hypocrites. Holiness doesn't have much meaning, and if it does, it doesn't have a good rep in our society. So we've got this central aspect, this element of God's character and nature, and we don't really understand what it means, We don't have kind of common coin of how to use this word holy. If I ask you to define it, I think you might struggle to to put words to holiness. But if you look through the Bible or through church history, men and women that encounter God's holiness, their life is never the same. Even some of the the, the names you might have heard in church history, the famous men and women, the Hall of Heroes, those people, if you look at their lives, they've had encounters with this holy God that changed everything. Augustine, Luther, Francis of Assisi, Jonathan Edwards, Lilius Trotter, Lottie Moon, you, you name it, they, their lives are marked with a sense of God's presence in his holiness. We're going to unpack and explore what the holiness of God is and and. and as we do that, I just need to warn you, holiness is not just a subject to kind of be like dissected and explored as if it's, if it's just a theological term you can define and move on. Holiness is central to God's character and nature, and so we need an encounter to get this thing right. You can't pull holiness away from God and try to understand it without understanding who God is himself. So what is this holiness? And what happens when people like you and me meet a holy God? You ready? Someone say, yep. All right. Isaiah chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, table of contents is your best friend. Um, I would love for you, even if you don't have a Bible, like Google it, open an app, something. We're going to be walking through this passage, so it will really be helpful to you if you're looking at it, okay? I'm not going to be offended if you're on your phone, but if you're like on TikTok, that's going to be awkward for all of us. Um, Isaiah 6, as you're flipping there, let me give you a little bit of background. Isaiah is it's about halfway through your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Isaiah was this prophet in in the Old Testament times who'd speak for God to to kings, to rulers, to people in power. His ministry was from about 740 BC to around 680. And it was the time of like high kind of natural and spiritual life in Israel. But this book is 66 chapters of, of hope and judgment, this complicated prophecy, all of this stuff, and we're going to see how Isaiah has an encounter with God of judgment and hope that leads to all of his prophecy happening. At this point in Israel's history, they'd entered the promised land, they'd had a few kings already, but then they split. Ten tribes go to the north and two go to the south, and the ten in the north run very quickly away from God and religion to try to maintain power And the two in the south have have some high points and low points and high points and low points and high points and low points. So this prophet Isaiah is going to come with words from God for this people on this roller coaster of faith and national life. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Starting in verse 1. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, you could be forgiven if you're like, yeah, that's just the kind of thing that happens in the Bible. People just like hang out with God in the Bible, right? This is not a normal kind of thing. People don't just show up and experience the presence of God. You can mark different points in the Bible where someone encounters God for who he is. So it says, in the year King Uzziah died, if you're, if you're a note taker or a Bible nerd, you can write down 2 Chronicles 26. That's, that's Uzziah's ministry. He's this king that that leads them to military power, but he grows proud and busts into the temple as if he could just go near God because he's the king, and and he dies. It's a time of national upheaval. People don't know what's going to happen, and so Isaiah is in the temple trying to meet with God. And you see the Lord on a throne in the temple. The temple was the centerpiece of of religious life and social life in Israel. It was supposed to be the place where God meets people. He promised he would make his presence felt there. But he's a king on the throne. And it says the train of his robe, like the the hem, like the bottom bit of of his garment, fills the temple. This place that was supposed to be a place of encounter with God is too small to contain the living God. Like God can't be contained to a building. He can't be shoved into one place as if as if a building like this could hold the God of the universe. He is high and lifted up. This prophet of Israel goes to the place he's supposed to meet with God and he has an encounter. Someone say encounter. This is this picture gets weirder, okay? It gets a little bit freakier. Look at verse two. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. Now, seraphim are not, like, described all over the place in the Bible. You didn't miss that chapter in your reading plan. But they're only described kind of here and and maybe a little bit in in another prophet and definitely in Revelation. They're these angelic beings whose whole purpose and existence is to worship God. And even the way that they're described has this holiness kind of language around that, that, again, might not make sense. But they're covering their eyes because God is so bright and so glorious that they can't look at him. And they cover their feet because, because God's presence is, is a holy place. If you're familiar with like Moses in the burning bush, he takes off his sandals because the ground is holy. These flying beings are covering their feet because they're in the presence of a holy God and, and they don't want anything unclean around. And they're, they're flying around him. And their whole purpose, the reason they exist is to worship God. Which might sound a little strange, Right? Like, God created these things to worship him. Is he just kind of insecure or selfish or whatever? But worship is saying something is worth it, right? And God is the only being in the whole universe actually worthy of worship. They're they're just living in line with reality right now when they worship day after day the God of the universe. God is, is good. He is beautiful. He is worthy of all of our praise. So this prophet of Israel goes to the temple and he sees a picture of this massive God that is too big to to wrap his mind around, whose robe just kind of fills the place that he was supposed to meet with him. And there are these freaky looking six-winged beings flying around singing a worship song. This is a worship song they're singing, verse 3. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They use a title for God, the Lord of hosts. It's like the Lord of angel armies. This king is in command of all the spiritual forces that he wants to call. He can, he can dominate any power. So, in a time of national upheaval, the angels are calling out a particular aspect of God. He's in control, he sits on the throne. And they say, Holy, holy, holy. They repeat it three times. Now, you've got to catch that. That's really important because no other attribute of God is described that way. For the Hebrew audience, when you repeat something three times, it adds weight and emphasis to it. It's kind of a passionate expression. "God is holy, holy, holy." It's kind of like, good, better, best. He is the most holy, the only one that deserves that title, holy." No other attribute of God is described in this kind of three-fold pattern. Did you know that? Like so many things that we love to worship about God, God is love. He is gracious. He is just. But He's not described as love, love, love. Or justice, justice, justice. Or grace, grace, grace. He is holy, holy, holy. That's not to say those other attributes aren't important, but His holiness is foundational to everything else He does. He has a holy love and a holy justice and a holy grace. So if we don't get holiness right, we don't get any of the rest of it right. So what does the word holy mean? What is this thing that these angelic beings sing over and over and over again? In its simplest form, the word holy means pure and separate. You can write that down, pure and separate. He is separate. He is distant from the rest of his creation. God is the creator. He stands apart from everything else. Creation can't hold him or contain him because he is the one that, that is in charge of all of it. He stands far away. And he stands far away because he's pure. There, there's no hypocrisy in him. You don't catch him on a bad day. James, a New Testament author, said you never find a shadow in him due to turning. Like he doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed and, and kind of change his mind. He's pure. Even the way that we think about and describe the word sin is in relation to his purity and holiness. Sin means anything missing the mark of God's character and nature. If his mark is purity and perfection, sin is anything less than that. He stands far apart in his holiness. God is different than you and me. He is other. Our our best effort and intention, we can't reach holiness on our own. But they say something else really interesting here. The whole earth is full of his glory. Someone say glory. It's a word we love here. The word doxa is Greek for glory. Glory in the Hebrew mindset is weight and light. God's presence showing up is this weighty kind of thing. Like if a famous person walks in the room, all the heads turn and look. There's there's a weight to a presence. When God shows up, there is a weight. To his presence, just by who he is, his presence presses down. If you picture Moses on the mountain, there's a weight to him. Or even John, again, Jesus' best friend, when Jesus shows up as the risen Christ in Revelation, he falls on his face like he's dead before his holiness and his glory. So this God who is distant and far away, he is pure and he's separate. The whole earth is full of his glory. Like even in his holiness, he wants to be intimate with his creation and and come close and draw us in. He chooses to fill the whole earth with a sense of his presence and his nearness. That's why people all over the world have some sense of the divine and some desire to reach out and know and understand God. People everywhere across the world desire to know who God is and what he's like. The earth is full of his glory. So this is really important to get. God isn't a a holy, pure God that just kind of made everything and wound it up like a clock and let it go. He's close to his creation. This is a God that wants people to know and understand what he's like. Even the fact that he invites Isaiah to meet with him is proof that this holy God doesn't stand holier than thou far away, but he draws near to his creation. Let's finish this encounter picture. Verse four. The foundations of of the thresholds, like the, the temple, the thing the temple is standing on, they shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. A pastor named Tim Keller called this a God quake moment. This temple that was meant to be a place of encountering God, when the real God of the universe shows up, the place can't handle him. It is shaking around Isaiah when God comes in the room. This is not a, a small God This is not a God that can fit into your box. This is not a God that you can grab your arms around and tell him what to do. When this God shows up, the whole world starts to shake. This is an encounter with God. So what happens when this prophet of Israel encounters God? Look at verse 5. Isaiah says, Woe is me. For I am lost, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Encounter leads to exposure. Exposure for for who Isaiah really is and what's going on. Remember, he's a prophet, right? But he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like the, the part of him that most represented his mission and task from God, even that part of him was stained with sin. It wasn't holy enough when he gets around the holy God. I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. When God shows up, just the light of his presence exposes everything around him. Exposes the condition, the real condition of the world around him. This isn't Isaiah trying to be judgmental of the people around him. He's looking at the light of God and he's looking at himself and he's looking around. He's going, we are not the same as him. We are not in line with him. All of this stuff is out of place in our hearts and our minds and our lives. We are unclean compared to this holy and pure God. And so he says, woe is me. It's kind of an old English expression. It basically means I'm done. Game over. I've got nothing left. Like I've hit rock bottom. But, but look at this. What did God say to Isaiah to make him feel this way? Like, did, did God call out a specific sin? Did he start reading down the list like, hey, I saw what you did yesterday and what you said there? and what? God doesn't say anything to him. Like, God, God doesn't even have to go and point out something specific about his heart or his mind or his life. Just God showing up is exposing. Again, the sun isn't, isn't choosing to shine particular light on a tree. It just does it by its nature, and God's presence just exposes by the nature of his holiness. When you get around a holy God, you are exposed to the fact that you are not holy and you don't measure up. Have you ever been exposed just by being around someone who's like genuinely a better person than you? like, no. Okay, exposed. Boom. Um, So like I've got friends that are really gullible and I was thinking of stories of times that I had tricked my friends that were really gullible because I really enjoy that. And um, I... Every story I came up with just made me look like a bad person, so I'm not going to share anything particular. But I realized them being gullible is literally just them being like a trusting, kind person and me being cynical and quick on my feet but still cynical. So I'm not going to share anything like that, but I feel exposed thinking about my gullible friends. Or maybe you've been around a married couple that genuinely just loves each other and they communicate well and they're kind to each other and thoughtful and you feel exposed because you fought with your spouse on the way to go hang out with them or we got a, a toddler around the house and we watch a lot of Bluey, right? Season 3 dropped. Come on. Not just for kids. Yep. If you're not into Bluey, that's totally okay. It's this Australian show. It's really cute. It's dogs, but there's like a there's like a dog dad and the dog dad is probably like the best dad ever and all he does is just like play these elaborate fun games with his kids and like spend all day just like giving them intention and whatever and I feel really exposed because I threw on the TV to distract my toddler so I don't have to spend all day playing games. Yeah, so I feel very exposed when I put on kids' cartoons for my kid um, when the cartoon dog is a better dad than I am. Like sometimes you don't even have to, the person doesn't have to say anything to you for you just to be exposed. You get around someone who's crazy generous and they're not preaching a sermon to you on generosity, they're just generous. And, and, and you realize you're not. You get around someone who's really good at, at apologizing when they make a mistake and owning their faults and you realize you're not. Or someone who's, who's really on mission sharing the gospel and it's convicting every time, not because they're telling you you're supposed to, but you just realize that you're, you're not. How much more the, the God of the universe and His holiness and purity, He doesn't have to tell you always that you fall short. When you get around Him, you just realize that you you don't line up. You got stuff out of joint and out of place. And, and listen to me, maybe the reason why you don't love coming to church or getting around communities is because you feel exposed. It might not even be something someone said to you or, or whatever, but just encountering people being changed by the holiness of God and what he's like, that is exposing. And you can blame other people, you can call them judgmental or hypocrites or whatever, but, but can we just be honest for a minute? Maybe Maybe you're just trying to avoid exposure. When you have an encounter with the real God, just by nature of who he is, it will expose the fact that you and I don't line up. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. Isaiah is just the most honest when he says, I'm done. I'm done. I've hit the end. I can't can't hang with this God. I'm I'm done. If a prophet of Israel is not getting off easy, I don't know if you and I are going to get off any easier. So what happens? What do you do when God exposes you for who you really are? Like, is he just trying to crush Isaiah and humiliate him? Is he playing some kind of religious game to kind of shove him in his place? Like, what is God up to here? Look at verse 6. One of the seraphim, these fricky looking six-winged whatever creatures coming at him, flies to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. Okay, like, if you actually think about that, that's terrifying. Flying coal, six wings coming at your face. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Someone say atone. Atoning is paying for something. The altar is the place where sacrifices were given as a a reminder that sin leads to death. Death is separation from the God of the universe who is the source of life, spiritual death, but, but eternal physical death too. This freaky looking creature takes a coal and he touches the part of Isaiah that he was most convicted about and confronted with. He says, Your sin isn't just forgotten or ignored or overlooked, it's paid for at the altar. Death had to happen, but, but justice was satisfied and grace and mercy can flow to you. Now, now look again. Did Isaiah ask for this? Did he bargain with God? Did he say, I'll do better next time, I'll pay you back, I'll start coming to temple every week, whatever? No. The only thing he has to offer is the fact that he is a broken sinner who is aware of his sin. His brokenness and sin, but also his humility before God is the only thing he's got going for him. But God takes the initiative both in exposing, but even more so in atoning, in cleansing, in making him clean and pure to be before this God. God doesn't crush him and leave him, God cleanses him that he can be in God's presence. This has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Encounter with God leads to exposure, but exposure, when it's really the God of the universe, it leads to cleansing. What happens when we're cleansed? Look at verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Cleansing leads to sending. Sending. Now, again, God doesn't give this like, high-pressure ask of like, man, it'd be really nice if someone wished they would go. Now, like, it's not this passive-aggressive thing. But after being cleansed by the God of the universe, something is freed and unlocked in Isaiah where he can go and just tell people whatever God has in for him. And God doesn't say where he's going to send him, right? He could be sending him to the ends of the earth. Just whatever you tell me, God, I will go and I will say it. It's a natural overflow consequence Encounter leads to exposure. Exposure leads to cleansing, and cleansing leads to sending. And this sending sets up the rest of the book of Isaiah. Everything he says from here flows out of this encounter he has with God. The judgment he experienced on his sin, but the hope that God has for him. If you're a note taker, I just want to put a phrase on the screen that I think captures what we're seeing here. Encountering God's holiness puts everything else in its place. Encountering God's holiness puts everything else in its place. It put Isaiah in his place. It put the people that he was around in their place. It put his life's mission in its proper place. I think if we have a real encounter with God, the same thing will happen for us. A real encounter with his holiness. So, Doxa, I just want to walk through those four things that happened to him and unpack what that would mean for us if we have an encounter with God. But listen to me, maybe you, maybe you hear this description and you're like, I don't know if I want to encounter that God. That is not a safe God to be around. It's not safe for, for the stuff that's been going on in my life to be exposed here. It is much safer for you to make a God that fits in your box. It's more comfortable for sure. Like to to grab a hold of maybe one of God's attributes that you really like and respond to and kind of grab that and run with it. Like God is love. So can't we just love people? Like this Old Testament stuff, whatever. Let's just love, let's just love. Or man, God God is righteous. If only people took more responsibility, then the world would be a better place. We just need more righteousness here. And those are true things, but when we take them in isolation, we start to make God look a lot more like us and our agendas than like he really is. Because my perspective of love or righteousness, they're off base. They're not in place if I don't have a perspective of God's holiness. Listen, does your God sound a lot like you? Are you scandalized by reading things in the Bible and saying, my God would never do that? Maybe you're not encountering God as he really is. Maybe you're not meeting with him for who he actually is. And let me just be frank with you. If you don't meet God for who he is, if you have some other God, some smaller God, that doesn't lead to exposure, sure, that's fine, but it doesn't lead to cleansing. I would much rather try to be a friend to you and tell you to meet the real God that is so pure and other than you. I would much rather your sin expose so that you meet him and find cleansing than let you just... Walk towards hell with a small God you can fit in your pocket. But as I was praying for, for us this morning and thinking through this passage, I, I wonder if maybe the dryness in your faith, that, that thing that you feel like you used to have and don't have anymore, and, and the fact that your faith has become like a lot of right things that you believe and think and right disciplines you try to practice but not encounter, I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if that's the issue. It's not a lack of effort, but it's a lack of encounter in your life. Are you seeking to meet with God? To have an encounter with Him, even if it exposes you? Or have you been content for too long with having the right answers and some good disciplines, but not but not God Himself? We need an encounter with God to put things back in their place. What about exposure? Maybe even this morning as we've been talking, God has been exposing things in your heart and life that don't line up with him. God, God is not exposing you to shame you. He's not trying to crush you and leave you. And, and religious people and church people have done this to each other a lot, and I, I'm so sorry for that. Like, I know some of us in here are bringing in baggage that we've, we've gotten from church. We've gotten from church people. But please, don't use that as an excuse to not be around God's people. Don't use that as an excuse to not be in these places where we're we're trying to encounter him together. Don't use that as an excuse to hide away from God's people when, when the light of God's glory shines off of them towards you and lights up some stuff in your life you don't want to be seen. Don't write off real conviction from the Spirit, real exposure as just people being judgmental. Exposure is not a, it's not a terrible thing when you know that God doing it, okay? It's a bad thing if it's someone else's agenda to try to put you in, their, in your place, but that is not God's agenda for your life. And if you've been avoiding conviction on something because you've been blaming other people, would you just stop it? And would you let God expose it for the sake of cleansing? The, the third thing we saw in here, the third piece of this encounter was Cleansing, And the altar here is so important to see. We don't have an altar set up at Doxa, and and in New Testament times, they stopped building altars because Jesus is the final sacrifice. This coal being touched to Isaiah's lips is is an arrow pointing to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When God exposes sin in our life, he actually made a way for our sin, not just to be ignored, not looked over, not, not kind of forgotten about, but dealt with forever. And maybe God is exposing so that he can show you the cleansing you need in Jesus. Jesus is God in flesh. He walked a perfect life. He never had a need for cleansing because he walked in holiness. And on the cross, he took the penalty for our uncleanness. So that you could be washed. You could be cleansed. You could be in relationship with this holy God. After he's cleansed, Isaiah feels a freedom to be around God, to stay in the temple with him and and to talk to him, to say, here I am, send me. God is inviting you to experience that freedom with him through Jesus. Not through you trying to prove you're good enough or can play the church game or, or whatever, but through the finished work of Jesus. He might expose you, but for the sake of cleansing you, for you to find freedom with him. And let me just ask you, have you have you been cleansed like have you met this God and experienced him washing your sin away atoning for it paying for it again God is not trying to invite you to play religious games and if you shut up this morning trying to like punch a punch card before God so you can hold it up to him and say look how good I'm doing would you stop it that's never going to work and that's not what he wants you to do anyway Maybe for the first time this morning, you actually need that coal to touch not your lips, but your heart. A picture of the altar of Jesus as your sacrifice, where you could be forgiven and walk with God forever. And if you're a Christian this morning, we remind ourselves over and over of this cleansing. God didn't save you one way and then invite you to walk with him some other way. He didn't cleanse you and then say, now go try hard to prove that you're good enough to be in my family. That's not how our God operates In his holiness, he washes you and he invites you back to remember over and over your only standing before God is the finished work of Jesus. Did you screw up again this week? Yeah. Your only standing is the finished work of Jesus. Did you get distracted during the sermon because you were on TikTok? Yeah. Your only hope is the finished work of Jesus. Hit too close to home. All right, that's cool. Listen to me, that's why we preach the gospel every week. That's why we take communion. That's why that's why we're going to have baptism today. This reminder that our only cleansing before God is the finished work of Jesus. We come back there over and over and over again. And finally sending the natural consequence of our cleansing. Is being sent on mission. Is sharing the gospel a dry duty in your life. Are you frustrated with yourself because you missed another opportunity? Are you beating yourself up? Because even when we talk about evangelism, you're like, man, I, I know I should get better. I, gotta, I just don't know what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do, whatever. God is not putting this high-pressure cell on you, okay? I know sometimes it feels like church leaders are like, you should go share more, go share more, go share, whatever. But, but listen to me, if you have an encounter of God, it begins to flow as a natural overflow of your life. So maybe before your evangelism techniques need to come into play, you need an encounter again. You are a saved person if you've trusted Jesus. Would you go tell people about that? You're a sent person if you're one of God's people. Would you go live like who you really are? And being a sent person is not a safe thing. But would you begin to pray, here I am, send me, even if that means God is taking you to your coworkers or that family member that put up walls so long ago? or to the ends of the earth, literally to people that you would never get around with a different culture and language and worldview, would you begin to go those places by starting saying, God, here I am, send me. You've cleansed me. All of it is yours. Encountering God's holiness puts everything else in its place. And Doc so that's my prayer for us as a church. That's, that's the vision we have together today. Not, not a bunch of people working really hard to do all the right things, but a bunch of people that have encountered God for who he is and have let him start putting everything else in his place. And listen to me, if there's something that God's been exposing in you this morning, maybe a secret shame that you, you've been trying to push back and ignore, would you confess that to someone this morning? Like, before you leave today, would you find someone and just say, hey, I'm convicted of this. Would you remind me of the gospel? Would you pray for me? Let's experience this encounter with God that leads to a life where we begin to sing like the angels. Holy, holy, holy. is the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. God, this morning... We need an encounter with you. And that's the scariest thing we can ask for. Because when, when we encounter you like you really are, we, we realize we are not like you. You are pure. You are set apart. You are beautiful. The angels worship you. We don't measure up. But thank you in your kindness. You, you both expose that and you deal with that. Jesus, thank you that you came so that we would actually be cleansed and our sin paid for. And God, thank you that you invite us on mission with you. You send us out wherever with the good news that you are a holy God that loves your people and cleanses us. So even throughout the room this morning, would you begin changing us with this fact as we encounter you for who you are? We pray in your name.